I always think about Enron and their core values were like trust, integrity, yet obviously they weren't living by those core values. Like a hundred percent, there's a lot of power in values that are chosen carefully and then implemented at all levels of an organization. All right, welcome to the podcast, Lauren. I'm so happy that we finally made this happen. I feel like I say that on almost every episode, but we did. So Me too. To You're a busy guy, but I'm glad we're finally doing this. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, this is all, I mean, this is a perfect timing because we kind of are in this space right now, at least with my podcast and everything, where we're talking about like, you know, we just had equality, women's equality day and all that good stuff. And so I'm really happy that we get to have this conversation and showcase your awesome story and, and, and dive into all that. So I appreciate you being here. I'm glad to be here representing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, let's start with this. Cause I know, I know you a little bit, been following you on LinkedIn, been following your story a little bit. Um, I know you're, you're the founder of lemon treat. I know you're also with vest. You're the founder of vested leadership, right? Um, but tell us like, start from the beginning. Like, how did you get to this point? Like, what was it, you know, where did you grow up? All those, all those things that kind of got you to this point. Okay. That's a big question, but I'll try to pack in at least important stuff. So I come from a super entrepreneurial family and growing up around the dinner table, we were always ideating things. Anytime we encountered some sort of problem, we would think about a business that could solve that problem. And I grew up believing everything was possible and that entrepreneurship was a way to provide for your family, but also provide make the world a better place, provide the world with a product or service that was unique. And so that was kind of my lens. And so I did all of the things like I studied finance in undergrad. I just finished up my master's, actually. But along the way, I sought out opportunities to learn on the ground, like boots on the ground. And so my one of my earliest memories was my dad sending me down to my family ranch at 14 and saying, hey, just try to make this thing better. And so I was kids camp counselor. I At 18, I'd never tasted alcohol, but yet I ran their poolside bar giving people pairing ideas for what to pair with. <laughs> so I did all of these things and I learned a lot about business. And I learned that I love building businesses. That's kind of my thing. I have a lot of really athletic family members, but I'm not, but I'm pretty good with a PL statement. I'm pretty good with building a business and providing a service that people want. And so that was kind of my thing. So I worked at my family business, I and Ponderosa. From there, I went on, worked at some tech companies. And like you said, I've actually started my own thing a time or two for the last few few years, I've coached businesses. And along the way, I learned that businesses kind of get tripped up over the same types of things. And so right now, Lemon Treat is an opportunity to scale what I've learned and help more more people and more business leaders in a more meaningful way. Wow. That's cool. And and so if I read this correctly, you went to Harvard for your MBA. I did. Yeah. I call it Harvard through the back door. I looked at the traditional Harvard MBA and it was going to be 200 grand and I'd have to live on campus for two years and sign away my life and not do anything else. And I found another program. It's kind of like an EMBA where I could do the first year on campus and then finish up. And so I actually finished my last class two weeks ago. I'm pretty stoked to be done. That's sick. That's cool. But you know what though? Does it, did you, I mean, how was that for you? Would do, 
going through that, was there a time when you were like, I wish I would have gone through the whole two year on, on thing? Or did it really make a difference for you? It didn't make that much of a difference. I think it depends what your goals are. My goals with my formal graduate education were to expand my knowledge, to get more credibility and expand my network. And so this program was able to do all of that. I have Harvard on my resume. And so that was enough for me. Plus, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't trade the last few years of boots on the ground work experience for anything. And this program allowed me to do both at the same time. So I'm totally satisfied. Oh, good. I love it. Well, and the only reason I ask is like I'm, I'm going through like an online MBA program and you kind of see sometimes when you're looking at jobs or whatever because I'll like peruse them every once in a while. But it's funny because you'll see like no online school. Like that's like one of the requirements for a sales job. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is bananas. That's wild to me. So I, I don't know. I was just curious, like your experience and, and how you felt. But that's really cool. Well, I'd probably apply for that job anyway, because it kind of seems like a dumb requirement. And I don't even yeah, think that right? requirements <laughs> like are that. I don't think they're needed necessarily. But also, I think sure. if you can be efficient and if you can work while going to school and make it all work, then that's more attractive to me yeah that yeah that's a that's a big deal right like uh i mean i mean i made a point to to point that out on my stuff is like it's like yeah i was online but i was working like 40 hours a week and like raising you know helping raise my family and things like that and so it's like uh, that's that's crazy but so so now i'm interested in a few parts of your story i think i think it's great i think that's great so you've always been i mean did you have your sights set on entrepreneur like your whole life, like you were going to own a business one day, that was the, or did it kind of fall into your lap or how did that work? I don't know if I necessarily wanted to own a business, but I definitely knew I wanted to build businesses and I've done both. And honestly, I really Mm. love both. I love being an entrepreneur and helping a visionary with a big idea to actually execute on their vision. I love that. (sighs) And then I love having my own idea and executing on that as well. It kind of is time or place. But I do love building businesses. I love the concept of building something and creating a legacy through the things you build. Yeah, I like that too. I think that a lot of people get tripped up on like what the definition of an entrepreneur is. Um, Because yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. I mean, you have like the formal definition of an entrepreneur, which is like build a business solely to scale it and sell it, right? So like scale quick, sell it off and then start over. Um, you have just business owners who've been doing it for 30 years. You have right people who are like, like linchpins. Like that's what like entrepreneur, like I learned about the word entrepreneur only recently before that I was just calling like linchpins, right? Like you got Mm -hmm. people who have the idea and then you got people who actually make it happen. And I don't know, like, is one better than the other? I don't know, but I'll, but you know what I mean? But like one made it happen. So no, I yeah. 100% agree. Like the world needs visionaries, but the, the world also needs executors. And I love this Thomas Edison phrase yeah. that vision without execution is hallucination. And it's the, the, <laughs> the ones who know how to execute that actually get things done. Like I use my cousin, Zach, nice. who's in the NFL, and I use him as, as an example. He's an, an incredible quarterback. He makes the, some great throws, but it's the people that catch his passes that allow him to succeed. If not for those caught paths, yeah, to shine. it would be nothing. And it's the same in business. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, I always kind of, I, I always think it's funny, like, because I, I, I don't do this on the scale that you do, but every once in a while, a, f- a friend of mine will be like, Hey, you know, what about this business idea? Or, or like, I'll get referred and just bounce ideas off. And somebody will be like, Hey, I need you to sign an NDA though. 
And I'm like, what you, I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, I want you to sign an NDA so you don't steal my idea. And I'm like, hey, homie, it's that's all you have right now is an idea. Like, if you can't get it done, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, ideas you know, are a dime a dozen. Like, I have a whole notebook yeah. full of ideas that I'd love to execute someday, but I just don't have the time and energy, and so I have to hyper focus. And so you're right, like an idea at that stage, yeah. just that. Yeah, I'm always like, I'll sign whatever you want, but. If this isn't done in two years, I get to do it, right? <laughs> like, they were like laugh. And stuff. I'm like, anyway, it's it's funny, but but so and 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 another part of your story that I always that that uh, you mentioned that I I was like you know ruminating on was um this idea that you started to coach businesses, um, and you found that they got tripped over tripped up over the same things. You saw this kind of the same patterns in all the businesses. Um, if you if you feel comfortable, like, would you? tell us what some of those are like what are some of the things that like what's i guess what's the most common what do you just like bro that's you you pinpointed that one you know what i'm saying absolutely i kind of think about business and the framework that i helped businesses implement a lot like a diet like there are a lot of good diets out there <laughs> as long as you follow them and there are a lot of great business frameworks out there as long as you follow them and I've read a ton of business books. I'm a kind of a business book junkie, but from Jim Collins, Patrick Lencioni, they all talk about the same things. And really it's mission, yeah. vision, values, metrics. And they all have their own fancy iterate, their own fancy acronyms and words. But at the end of the day, it's mission, vision, values, metrics. And so I would go in and help a business figure out, well, where do you want to go? five to 10 years, where do you want to take this business? Where, what's your North star? And then from there we could say, okay, well, where do you need to be in three years and in one year and in quarters? And we'd set some really smart goals. So, you know, the things we learn in fourth grade, but specific, yeah. measurable, attainable, realistic, timely, <laughs> set those types of goals. Like, okay, this is what we're going to, yeah. this is the plan. And then we'd come up with some metrics and the metrics, the handful, a small handful of numbers that would help them get there. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in or what company you're trying to build or what your strategy is, those things are essential. Yeah, if you go to so many businesses, they can't tell you the first thing about what their North Star is or what their values are, their metrics. And I think that's where the companies yeah. I coach could differentiate themselves. That's cool. You know what? And here's another, I like to talk about, I interview a lot of people who on LinkedIn, I interview a lot of bi really big business owners. Um, and it, like yourself, right? And and I always get these buzzwords that come up, right? So like one of my favorites is culture. I love talking about culture on here because I think it's so ambiguous that it can just mean whatever you want it to mean, you know? I feel like culture is one of those things. Have you seen The Princess Diary where I think that's it, where he's like, you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. Oh, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> I'm like, okay. No, anyway. <laughs> but, but anyway, so so I just thought it was funny. Um, not funny, but I think it's cool to talk about values, right? Because that's always been a big buzzword for me. And like, what does it mean to like lead with values? How do you find your values? Right? Like, you know, because like to me, we've kind of taken that word and run with it. And so now like values on someone's wall are like be a Dwight. And it's like, is that a value or did you just want to throw something funny up on the wall? You know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. So I always think about Enron and their core values were like trust, integrity. Those were plastered up on their walls. Oh, yet obviously they weren't living by those core values. Like at the very top level of that organization, things were going awry. 
So you're right, it is a buzzword. But I also think there's a lot of power in values that are chosen carefully and then implemented at all levels of an organization. So the process that I go through to help companies figure out what their values are, or I ask, what are who are your superstars? If you could clone 10 of these in your organization, what do they have in common? We go from there and we list off. And every company is different because their goals are different, their industry is different. But but we start to kind of suss out what's their DNA? What are they trying to create here? And then it starts to become really easy to see who does and who doesn't embody those core values. And then they can start rewarding, hiring, firing, promoting based on these core values. And it only works to the extent that that companies truly care about their core values. For example, if they have a superstar that's killing it, maybe it's a salesperson that's hitting their quota month after month and they're really just excelling, they're a superstar, but they suck to work with. And one of your core values is people smart. Well, you kind of have to make that decision as a leader. What do you prioritize more? Quota or your values? And then you make those tough decisions and your people are watching. They're watching what you do. They're watching who you promote and who you praise. And if you truly make enough decisions with your core values in mind, then people people start following through. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up because it sounds like, I mean, and a lot of these things do, right? I'm sure as like a, a coach and a, and a leader, you've ran into this a lot where like a lot of things kind of like run in together. So when you were talking about like choosing the right values, I mean, like that's what, so I interviewed Cindy Tetro, the, the founder of Brandless. And she was like, she was like, culture is what you celebrate and what you tolerate. And that comes from the values that you implement. Right. And uh, so I love that. I think that that's, and people do watch, by the way, and and I got I get asked that as as like a, a sales leader too. It's like, you know, I had somebody ask me in an interview. They were like, so you, they asked me that question. They were like, so do you care about numbers or do you care about like treating people like having a salespeople like that isn't brain damaged and things like that? And I was like, and I already made that up in my mind. I was like, I actually would fire a, a thirty, you know, I would fire a guy hitting his quote every month if he was terrible to work with. I don't care. And good salespeople are a dime a dozen. A hundred percent. I mean, not a dime a dozen. <laughs> we need great salespeople. But it sure. just it yeah, shows yeah. that you put your money where your mouth is and people really respect that. They want yeah. leaders that do what they say they're gonna do and value what they say they can value. Mm-hmm. So when you're coming up with these, so you tell people like, you know, pick your superstars, who would you want on this team, and then what does that look like? And then how do you like come up with the values themselves, like the words? Because like, you know, I feel like, you know, for me, the hardest part about finding values is like, well, what do I have to pick from? And I know that's terrible, but that's like right where my brain goes to, right? Like, well, show me a list and I'll pick a couple out, right? So we would start really broad and I'd say, okay, Tim, you love this guy, Tim. What is it about Tim that makes him so excellent? They'd say, well, he's really hardworking. He comes early. He stays late. He's really easy to talk to. He's really easy to work with. He you know, keeps his cool. They list off all of these things about Tim that make him unique and special. So I just put those up on a whiteboard, just kind of list them all. And then we start playing keep, kill, combine. 
So it's like, okay, so there are all these ma- these uh, all these values, and they all kind of say the same thing. We can put them in the same bucket. At the end of the day, Tim is just a hard worker, so we put them in that bucket. And then I get them to about 80%, and I say, okay, take this and take it home and wordsmith it and play with it and get it to match your culture and get it to the point where you can give this speech. Like when you are hiring someone, you scare them with sincerity. You say, hey, these are our core values. If you embody these, you're going to be a great culture fit. You're going to stick around for a long time. You're going to have tons of success. And if you don't embody these core values, might as well pack your bags now because you're not going to be happy. We're going to call you out continuously. You're not going to fit in with the culture. You're not going to belong. And so they create this this speech and this speech includes some examples or some anecdotes and they refine it over time. But they get this speech to the point where people truly know what's expected of them. Then it works wonders, actually. Yeah. I love that. That I love that. I think that's great because, um, because eventually, right, like you get to this point where, <clears throat> in the company, it's real easy to point out like what the value is that's being like demonstrated, and uh, and there's a lot of yeah, you're right. There's a lot of power in that. So is that? I mean, for you, and when you're and when you're looking at companies, I mean, I do, now do you apply the same kind of culture fit with companies that you take on as clients? I definitely look for certain types of leaders and and to be clear, I've decided to do less coaching and more lemon treat, which we can talk about, but it's basically taking certain parts of the holistic experience I used to offer and providing it in a bite-sized way. But the companies that invested and now lemon treat, the companies that I take on, their leaders are humble and they're hungry. Because good leaders acknowledge their weaknesses, they acknowledge their shortcomings, they're excited to improve, they love 360 feedback and they love getting better. And then they also are hungry, like give give them the right types of metrics, give them the right types of goals and they will attack those. Mm. And so then it makes my job easy. I'm the facilitator, I'm the integrator. I bring everyone together and ask the right questions, but it's them, it's their company and ultimately they determine whether or not they succeed or fail. I love that. So let's talk about lemon tree because it sounds, you know, I was doing, reading a little bit about that from your stuff and uh, a lot of, a lot of like metrics, a lot of like, sounds like key performance indicators, right? Things that we can measure, things that we can like uh, get. So uh, tell us about lemon tree. What, what is that? How did it go? And then I, obviously I got a few more questions because I love this idea of like leading with data. Yeah. So Lemon Tree came about, like I said, because I was coaching all of these businesses and I would get them to the point where they knew their vision, they knew where they wanted to go, they knew their um, values, and then we'd get to metrics and I'd say, okay, go take this and measure these metrics and just keep track of them every day, every week, every quarter. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have anywhere to point them. And we all know of some of the bigger data dashboard companies out there, but I realized for my small to medium-sized businesses, they couldn't afford the software. And even for my big businesses, a lot of businesses don't have technical acumen, or if they do, those coders should be coding. They should be spending time building their own product or service, not building out a company data dashboard. And so I realized there was this niche, this need, 
And so that's where it started. And I rolled it out to the companies that I coached with. And I rolled out a V1. And we actually integrated with Metabase. So our main value app is bringing all the data together and visualizing it in an intuitive way. And we're actually releasing our own proprietary software this week that'll replace Metabase. And so the idea is, is once we solidify where a company wants to go and the goals that matter, then we do all the rest. We do all the back end. We automatically bring all their data together <laughs> so that they can go about making Mm. decisions without worrying about copying and pasting things on a spreadsheet or whatever yeah that's cool um okay so let's talk about kpis we have this like love-hate relationship and like being in sales like it's definitely a love-hate relationship because you're like you know because i'm 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 in the camp there's a lot of different thoughts behind this in the sales world but i'm in the camp of like look you have to you that we we manage by the data because we know like high-performing salespeople don't make one call a day and hit their quota, right? So like, of course, we're going to manage you by things that we can control, right? And so, but but it's I always get pushback on that. I always get fought on that. People hate it when I say that. So so what kind of like conversations do you have around KPIs? Like what, what are there any general KPIs that are important for businesses to, to keep in mind or, or so work towards or what? A little bit different, but generally I think about three different buckets. And I believe that, Every business that wants to go about tracking KPIs should have at least a few financials, no margin, no mission. We're all in business to survive long-term, to build something sustainable. So you have to know your revenue, your expenses, your net income, your profitability percentages. So at least a few financials. And then there's the acquisition stuff. So top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel, have to know how many eyeballs are seeing your product, what are your conversion rates, that type of thing. And then you need to know your satisfaction because there are a lot of businesses out there that operate kind of a revolving door type of program. So they have a ton of new customers, but they're not able to satisfy those customers. They go out the other end and they have to keep filling this funnel as opposed to taking care of the customers they already have. And so I always recommend keeping a pulse on the happiness of your customers and of your employees, your teammates, because if they're not happy, they're not going to provide great products and great service. And you're kind of going to start to crumble over time. So those are the three buckets, but then every business is different. And the specific measure, the specific metrics we measure depend a lot on those individual businesses. Yeah. 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 The metrics are going to be, and like those benchmarks that we want to try to hit are going to be different. Every, every company you know, as far as like the companies that you work with, right? You mentioned that you, you like to work with people that are hungry and smart or excuse me, humble and hungry. And then, um, you also like to, and then you, and then you work through these KPIs and, and try to make decisions with data. Do you get any pushback at least initially with that? I haven't yet. Actually, I take that back. I have. Okay. Initially when working okay. with companies, there are always a few people on the leadership team that are a little salty, that kind of fold their arms and like, give me the side <laughs> eye and wonder if I actually know what I'm talking about. But usually I'm able to convert them with enough examples and ex- enough examples of yeah. companies I've worked with and also just industry best practices, enough experts yeah. that solidify and back yeah. up what I have to say. Eventually people come around. And ultimately, I think good business leaders want the best for their business. They want to build something that's sustainable and scalable and so yeah. they'll resonate when they hear business truths yeah of course i think that's i think that's perfect now um one thing that you mentioned in there that i that i want to ask because we're 
you know, uh, and, and I don't know if you you've you've seen any of my posts, but like I'm I'm big into like um, you know supporting women in business. I have a, I have my daughter. She's she's six and she's fiery and feisty, and I love it. And I want her. I want her to. I want her to go. And so I, I love talking about how um, how like you know you felt breaking into this industry. Like you know you you mentioned there that like sometimes you're you're salty. Does it ever feel like? Does it ever feel like like how do you overcome the I guess the feeling of like maybe they're judging me because I'm a woman in business and and do, does it feel like you have to do a little bit extra like or like just tell like how does that feel like how do, how do you get through that how does it because obviously you're successful and you're doing great but I'm just curious like if you've ever felt like that or how how you kind of broke through that there have been times in my life where I felt huge imposter syndrome for sure. For sure. Like I remember when I started the finance program at BYU, I looked around at a group of primarily white dudes and, and they all spouted off all of these ratios. It felt like they came out of the womb knowing finance and I felt uncomfortable. <laughs> and I think I've in some situations I've leveled up and I've proved them wrong. And in others, I've kind of allowed someone else's perception of me to become the reality. And obviously that kind of sucks, you know, when you don't reach your full potential because someone else believes that you can't, it's a learning opportunity. And so I think these days I walk into most rooms most of the time knowing that I have something to share knowing that I have a lot to learn, but I also have things that I've perfected over time and things that I've spent a lot of time and a lot of energy learning. And people, people can learn something from me if they listen. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I mean, it, it, it takes, it takes everybody, I think, cause I, you know, I've, I've kind of, you know, I, I've been in that room too, where um, some of the best people that I've learned from, like I, I've had, you know, women leaders and it's just like, you know, it's just that humility. Right. And I think that that is a big thing that we got to learn, you know, as dudes, right. Um, as guys, you know, we got to learn like to be humble, but I'm glad that I'm glad, like what kept you going? Like, even though, you know, cause I can only, like, by the way, I get in those rooms with some of those BYU finance guys. And I just like, I'm like, Oh crap. <laughs> I'm like, this is going to be, this is going to be so ridiculous. We're just going to, it's like, for lack of a better term, and excuse my language, but I'm always like, this is going to be like a pissing contest. Like, no one's going to learn anything. We're all just going to try to, like, one-up each other, and it's frustrating. But, like, for you, I mean, I'm not saying that's your experience. That's just for me. But, like, for you, how do you, like, get the courage and get the motivation and get, like, the, just keep going? Like, how do you get that, that mindset right? I believe with all my heart in the magic of unique pairings. So let me give you an example. Um, if you are trying to hire a personal trainer, and I'll speak from experience, me, I love cookies. Anytime I pass a twisted sugar or a dirty dough, I can't help myself. I have to stop and eat a cookie. And that's not going to help my long-term health goals as much as I love those <laughs> flavors. And so if I went in to meet with a personal trainer and they said, hey, I, I also love cookies and girlfriend, I also stop and get a cookie every time I see one. They would lose a lot of credibility <laughs> in my eyes. They're empathetic as mm. me, but they're not credible because they haven't <laughs> overcome the problem that I need help with. On the flip side, right. if that same person was like, well, just man up, just don't eat the cookie, like fight <laughs> your urges. Well, they're credible, yeah. but they lack empathy. They don't, they don't understand who right. I am. And so it's this unique pairing in this case of they're credible 
and they're empathetic. And so my unique mm, pairing yeah. is that I'm analytical. I can spreadsheet with the best of them, but I'm also creative. I love building stuff. I love seeing things to fruition. I have a bunch of ideas. And so I can pair those in a really unique way. And that makes me a unique asset to the teams and to the people that I associate with. Similarly, every company and every individual has their own set of unique pairings. And so I think what keeps yeah. me going to in a roundabout way answer your question is that I have something to share. I am analytical, but yeah. I'm also creative and I love solving problems and I love nerding out over business stuff. And those are things that I bring uniquely to the table. And because I have confidence in those things, I'm able to excel even in situations where I feel that imposter syndrome. That's so cool. I love that unique pairings um, because it is like everybody's got that thing. Like what makes you different, right? Like, you know, you were talking about that and I've never called it this before. So so thanks for teaching me. But like, yeah, like mine, mine is like, like what makes me different as a salesperson is like, I got my bachelor's degree in accounting and going to finish an MBA in finance. Congrats. And it's like, um, yeah, thank you. But it's like no one like salesperson and accountant like that. Those don't mix, but I actually make it work because like I, I can talk to people about the, the balance sheet, right? Like how it affects their bottom line when it, when, when they need to do that or if they don't need to, you know what I mean? And just like, it's very unique where some salespeople are just like all features, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Look how cool our pro product is. Right. And, uh, but like having, being able to have intelligent conversations about finding, yeah. So that's cool. Like, how did you come up with that? Like, where, where did you, where did you learn that? Where did you get that from? The unique pairing thing. Actually, I was listening to a dating coach and he talked about how he got dumped. <laughs> and, oh, I gleaned from all sources, but, um, he got dumped. That's and, great though. That's and cool. he asked uh, later, he became friends with his ex and he asked, Hey, why did you dump me? And she said, you know, you are ambitious. And that's the thing that originally attracted me to me. You're as ambitious as hell. But she's like, you're also boring. You're only ambitious. She <laughs> said, I wanted you to be fun too. And so he said he went on this uh, endeavor of a lifetime to trying to figure out how he could pair his ambition, but also spontaneity. And he said that unique pairing, if you're, you know, people smart and book smart, or if you're, yeah. you know, kind, but you're also firm, or if you're soft, yeah. but you're, you know, those types of things, then you become unique. You become this brand that's different from anyone else or anything else. And I, it resonated. I love it. No, speaking of that, by the way, um, getting your information from everywhere, I think that's like super important, right? Because like, I have a, I also have a really unique sales background. Like I'm not like I was in tech for like two years and like, to be totally honest with you, hated tech sales. That was like one of the worst things, one of the worst things I've ever done. I was like decent. Like I wasn't a rock star at tech sales. Like I was maybe in some other, other sales, but like I was okay. I wasn't anything to write home about, but, uh, but what was cool, but what made me, because like it was crazy story. So like I get to tech, like get to my first tech sales job and I'm like, dude, this is ridiculous. I was like, these guys are like, you know, I was looking at things through the lens of like my previous sales experience. And I was like, we could do this better. You know, this could be a little bit different here because like we could do this, you know? And like, at least in the companies that I worked with, um, it felt like sometimes, um, more at my second company than at the first company I worked at. But it felt like sometimes they were like, Oh, this guy's never sold tech before. He really doesn't know how to sell. And that's what it felt like to me. Um, but it was like, but, but I had a lot of these ideas that came from different sales 
uh, you know, um, backgrounds. But like, you know, in, this, in those cases, no one listened. But like what it did was it helped me like, you know, help help other salespeople who were struggling like behind the scenes. Like I, I could help them give them a little bit of advice and ended up working. But like, I don't know, tech sales wasn't my favorite. But I get that, like that unique pairing. You come into like a situation with just totally different experiences, that knowledge from other places that pr- pairs perfectly with other other things. I think that's I think that's enlightening. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I I do believe another thing I believe with all my heart is in the power of compound interest, just like in finance, same as with life, but doing little things every day. And for me, a lot of those little things are learning from others. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of books. I ask a lot of questions. I learn from a lot of different types of people. And to the extent that I can retain that knowledge, I've built this mm-hmm. kind of record that I can give people examples or anecdotes of a lot of different situations that serve me well. And it's just, you know, little by little, I'm building this brick by brick. I'm building this house of knowledge. I love that. Let me ask you this question because I'm a book. I'm a book nerd. You can't see it. Like my library's downstairs. You can't see it right now. But what is the book you recommend most to people? Like if somebody randomly, you don't know them, they come up to you on the street. What book should I read? That is so hard. I mean... I'll give a few for a few different situations. So Dale Carnegie, you know, how to influence, how to win friends and influence people, I think is just a handbook for life. And it's something that personally, I always remind myself, I'm not the best with people, but I really try. And I use that as a handbook for life, trying to figure out how to build these really meaningful, solid relationships. Um, Option B actually is another one that I've really loved. Have you heard of option B? Do you know Sheryl mm-hmm. Sandberg? No, I'm writing it down. Yeah. So Sheryl Sandberg was the COO of Facebook for a long time. And before yeah. that, she worked at Google. And I read this book. I think it hit me so hard because of the time of life I was in. I was actually 25. I just recently gotten divorced and I was devastated and heartbroken. And my option A, like my plan as I knew it didn't go through. And so Sheryl Sandberg in option B talks about the death of her husband. It was unexpected. And soon after she, her husband died, her little son had this father and son camp out and her brother-in-law said, Hey, I'll take little, you know, Billy or whatever his name is. I'll take him on behalf of Dave. I'll take him to this camp out. And she said, I don't want you. I want Dave. And he said, option A isn't available. Let's kick the shit out of option B. And that has resonated so much live, especially where I was at the time, right? Like my option A didn't work. Like I had planned to get married and have a lot of babies and kind of do things a certain way. And that didn't work. And I had to figure out how to rebuild and build better and how to have an amazing option B. And then, you know, that doesn't work. So you move on to C, D, E, and F. But, so I <laughs> well, think but you're just, not giving up, right? Absolutely. And then also, I mean, even if you're not going through something super hard at this moment, and I hope not, other people are. And so learning how to speak to them, learning how to help them in a meaningful way. I think that's a great handbook for life because we're all going through something hard from time to time. And then for business, I would say actually traction. It's a book by Gina Wickman. And Mm -hmm. I really love it because it, it combines thought leadership from all sorts of really smart people into one book in a very actionable way. So I, I think it's a handbook for business that I refer to. Oh, I like that. Um, Option B. What a great book, though. I, I, I'm going to have to pick that up because one of the things that's never resonated with me, like, I don't know. I don't like hustle culture. I'm not a pep rally guy. I'm not a rah-rah guy. Right? I'm not like the guy who, like, when when we saw Tony Robbins say, like, burn your boats, 
or whatever. I'm like, that sounds like a stupid idea, actually. So how about we just, how about we do both? How about I like also have my boats and also win, right? Like, yeah, I, I have don't know. a parachute. Like, I'm not going to fall flat <laughs> on the ground, but then also I build right. this thing. Well, but yeah. The, yeah, yeah. And so this idea, like, you know, the hustle culture is like, no option B, mm, right? Like, and I'm like, well, but that's also unrealistic, right? Like, have you ever gone into, a, have you ever gone into like a, you know, looking for funding and not had an option B, they don't listen to you, right? Like mm-hmm. you need to have plans, right? You need to like work things out. <laughs> so I love that. It's just so funny how like we get caught up in these crazy, like, I mean, I get the sentiment, right? Like you want to go full in, but you also need to like be able to adapt and like, like we don't work through it, work through it all for sure. But oh, yeah. anyway, in the business world, we call it. Yeah, in the business world, it's called pivoting. And, you know, Uber started as like a black car service and they've adapted to be on all of our phones. And like, I mean, Airbnb was like initially couch surfing during elections. And we all pivot. We all figure out what works and doesn't work in our lives and in our businesses. And we evolve. And it's silly to believe that your option A is going to be what you enact in its (laughs) We all kind of pivot along the way. Right. I, I love that. I love that. So for you, um, I, I like to ask people this question. How did you know it was the right time to launch your to launch Lemon Tree? So I, I don't know if there's ever like a right time. Sure. But for me, I felt like I had really mastered this framework that I was helping businesses with, but I wanted to scale and I wanted to scale in a meaningful way that I could help a lot of businesses. And ultimately I want to be build my mom drop my mom job. So I told you that I wanted, you know, like when I was in my early twenties, all I wanted was to be a mom and to have a family. And that got delayed for a bit, but I still really want that. And for me, the most important factor of like a, what I call a mom job is flexibility, the ability to mm-hmm. ramp up or scale back, the ability to have adult conversations and get, get out of your clothes that are like covered and spit up, but also be there, you know? <laughs> and so I'm building this with the idea that I can scale up, scale back, still provide a ton of value. And hopefully if we do it right, we're in thousands of business leaders pockets, helping them make data driven decisions at all times. And that's really fulfilling for me. So, so the right time, because I knew all of that, because I saw the end goal, I had what I needed to get started. I call it like the ABZ framework, right? Like (laughs) I I know where I want to be. I know I want to have this mom job with flexibility, serving thousands of business leaders. That's like my North star. So I have enough to get going and I know to get going, I need to build a V1 of a product. And so that's my A and I can see B and I know that I'll just keep working through these steps to get where I want to go. And then once I know that now is as good of time as any. Oh, I love it. Sorry. I'm just, I'm taking notes. I love, I love this conversation because it's so, it's just so important. You know what I mean? And like a lot of, cause a lot of people don't get the confidence to like start, their business and like, and like actually make it work. And, uh, and that ABZ framework. But I love that because like, um, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's a better way of saying like done is better than perfect, which when I fell in love with that saying, it was not new. Like it was brand new. It was cool. And then everybody started saying it. And now it says, now it's like, you're anyway, but like, it's ABZ cliche, framework, that's but- it is cliche. It's makes me mad. Cause like, it makes me so mad because I love that though. It's such a, but that's also why I get, because like kind of going back to earlier in the, in the question, right? Like 
I, I think that values are super important. I think that culture is super important. We've just watered down. Like, what do they call that on, on LinkedIn? They call I think they call it broetry. We've just <laughs> lost all of the buzzwords in the broetry. You know, <laughs> and so it's like they're important and the people need it. So we just need like a fresh view of all these timeless principles. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately the difference between a company or a person who applies like broetry versus someone who actually like gets it done and takes value from these euphemisms is someone who does the work, who puts in the reps, right? Like I know a mission statement and I know it's important for everyone from my frontline staff to my, you know, the person building the product, like everyone needs to be crystal clear about the mission statement. But so many companies have a mission statement that's like out of sight, out of mind. So I just have to be different from the herd. I have to actually make it a priority and then it becomes an important tool. And I think that's how it goes across the board. Yeah. Uh, no, that you're so right. That's so true. Cause, cause I have, I've been in, I've been in kind of both where like it actually, means something. And then when it's just like, they just checked off a box to, because their investor said they had to do it or whatever, you know what I mean? And it really does make a difference. Like people start living that and you start, and then you start hiring people with those. Cause I've been in organizations where like the top guys like, Hey, these are our values. And then, and then, you know, like when the, when the cats away, the mice play and that's exactly what would happen. And you know, it's like, it's crazy that it happens like that. But, um, but the more that we get this and the more that like, we understand, like people are like, Hey, look, those are the exceptions, not the rules. Like these are actually people who, who live by their core values and work and, and that, and that makes it work. So what are like, what, um, like what are some of the core values of lemon tree? So proactive people who like get things done, who are builders who are not can kickers, but rather building things consistently. Another one is passion. So I, like I said, I come from an entrepreneurial family. I have lots of entrepreneurial friends. And the one thing that I see across the board is people are successful when they are passionate about what they do. That doesn't mean that they love every piece of their job. There are a lot of jobs that starting out that aren't necessarily fun. I don't like balancing books, for example, but I'm passionate (laughs) about helping small businesses. I'm passionate about providing data. And so that passion can kind of get me through the lulls and help me to accomplish things. And so that's, that's one that we, that we attract. I like that. Yeah. And then another one's like a problem solver. So people who encounter problems and they solve those. I think we've all been in like one too many meetings where people sit and complain about the same problems on repeat for an entire hour. And then they walk away and go back (laughs) to their day jobs. And the next week they reconvene only to talk about the exact same things for like an hour And I hate that. Like, you might as well not have the meeting at that (laughs) point. So I love people who, like, get things done, who, like, they identify an issue, but then they come up with a few solutions, and then they enact those solutions, and then they build upon that. I think that's awesome. Like, we don't like Band-Aids around here. We like long-term solutions. (laughs) No Band-Aids, only problem solvers. It's a good good point, though. You know what I mean? And and then, so when you're you're doing that, I guess, I guess – you know, one question that I always had and, and, you know, one of the ones before we wrap up, but like, how do you, what does it look like to actually start enacting those principles? Like when, you know, when you see someone mess up, is that like, I mean, not mess up, but like, cause we all do right. But so I'm not saying like come down on people, but when you see like, Hey, we're slipping here, like, 
how do you lead that conversation knowing that well, like helping people understand like this is coming from our values that we all agreed upon when we got here kind of thing. Okay. So the lemon tree team is like, I don't know how you count it. It's probably like 10 at this point, but we have a lot of like night and weekend warriors and we're building this cool. thing, bootstrapping all the way. So, so I'll use cool. examples of some of the companies I've coached. Uh, mm-hmm. So once you've articulated your core values and not just your core values, that's a part of it, but also the specific roles and responsibilities, like the things that you expect mm-hmm. from this person on your team. And then the specific numbers that you hold them to the specific metrics for their role. And once you have all of those, then you can have this really beautiful 360 degree feedback session where you're saying, Hey, I think you're amazingly proactive. And here are some things that I've seen that show me, that demonstrate how proactive you are. So you give them some examples and then you say, hey, but we also believe in being a a group of problem solvers. And I noticed last week at that meeting, you complained a lot, but you didn't necessarily bring any solutions. And I think that's an area where you Mm. could improve. And so you're giving them, and then you're saying, hey, how about me? What are some areas that I could improve as your leader? And so when you feel like, you're holding them accountable to the things that you said that you would that creates that positive feedback loop. They're, they're gaining a lot of respect for you as their leader. And then you're opening up the floor for feedback and humbly accepting that feedback. And then you're, you know, you're building and you're growing together and it provides this really beautiful relationship. Yeah. I, I love that. I think we just get, you know, it's just, it's crazy how like, um, you know, we know it's like some people know the right thing to do, but they can't just make it click. You know what I mean? Because I've been in situations where like, cause I agree with you. I think everything you're saying is great. And I've been in situations where like, you're like, this could be so easy if you listen to Lauren and just did what she told you to do. You know what I mean? But now we're here, right? John? You know what I mean? And, uh, and so, so it's just wild, but I think that's, I think it's sage advice. I think it's great. Um, and so, but before before I let you go though, because you've been more than generous with the time, I really appreciate you being here. Um, tell everybody how they can follow you, how they can get involved with Lemon Treat if they if they want to start, you know, making data driven decisions. Where do they where I love find it. you? So, lemontreat.com. Like I said, in a few days we're releasing our V one, so it's you know done is better than perfect. It's it's not perfect <laughs> yet, but it's something. And I hope just like an Apple Watch, it provides some really meaningful metrics that help businesses. It's a pulse on the health of your business. So that'll be coming out in the next few days. We'll have a demo up on our website or something. So lemontreat.com, LinkedIn. Sometimes I'm better at posting than others, but you can find me there. DM me, reach out to me. I'd love to chat. Like seriously, my favorite thing to do is nerd out about business and help business leaders in any way I can. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much. Well, and, uh, and thank you for being here. It was, a, it was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Dalton. Have a great night.